I want to read just a short passage from Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28, and it starts with these words, Jesus called the disciples together. Uh, The disciples were a small group of people that followed Jesus, that saw him as their teacher, their rabbi, but began to grow in their understanding that he was much more than that, that he was the Messiah, that, that they would someday understand that he was their Savior and their Lord. And uh, we are here today as disciples of Jesus. Our, our, our spiritual lineage, our spiritual heritage goes back 2,000 years to these first people that Jesus brought together, that he walked with and encouraged and cha- uh, trained and challenged. And so he called his disciples together, and here's what Jesus said to them. He said, you know about the rulers of the nations. They hold power over their people. Their high officials order them around. Don't be like that, he says. Instead, anyone who wants to be important among you must be your servant. And anyone who wants to be first must take the lowest place. Be like the Son of Man, which was a title Jesus referred to himself as, the Messiah, the one who has come. He says, I did not come to be served. Instead, I came to serve others. The Son of Man came to give his life as the price for setting many people free. Jesus came to to serve us. And if we want to be like Jesus, it means we need to learn how to serve others, how to give ourselves away to others. Jesus said, don't be like the leaders that you see around in your life, the ones with power who know they have power, the ones who order people around. He says, don't be like that. I once worked for two Greek brothers in Colorado Springs at a little cafe called Michelle's. And uh, I did it during a a summer of college. As I was home for college, I had to earn a certain amount of money to go back to school. I had three months to do that, so I had this full-time job at Michelle's. And these two Greek brothers knew that I was desperate for the paycheck. And so they, they just, they let me have it that so They took advantage of me. They made me do things. They could make me do anything because they knew I was desperate for the job. Uh, Andy and John, these two brothers, they wielded their power over me like a weapon. They would yell at me. They would make me do things nobody else wanted to do. They would make fun of me. They just ha- I had a rough summer. And when I was able to head back to college, I was so ready to be back at college. I was like a whole new life for me as I left Michelle's and was able to get out from underneath the thumb of these two brothers. In 2007, that cafe closed uh, because they had unpaid federal taxes and there was poor management is what it was, the announcement was. <laughs> So um, I did not revel in their, in their brokenness, but it reminded me of the limit of power, the limits we have of human power, that, that, that what they wielded over me was actually really nothing in the long run. Um, don't be like that, Jesus says. Don't be like those kinds of leaders, those kinds of people. And Jesus said that because two other brothers had come to Jesus and asked for positions of power in his future kingdom. In fact, it was their mother that came with them. The three of them came. And she said, Jesus, these are my boys, James and John. Would you let one sit on the left of your throne and one sit on the right of your throne in heaven that they might have places of power? Talk about helicopter parenting. Here comes (laughs) their mom before Jesus. My boys, put them up there, you know. And so in response to that, Jesus said, you know how other people take on authority, how they lead. He says, I don't want you to live like that. Instead of grabbing for power, Jesus said, I want you to learn how to serve others. If you want to experience a a new kind of life, if you want to experience a, a deep faith, if you want to experience God's presence in increasing ways in your Monday through Sunday week, Jesus says, you got to learn how to serve others, how to give yourself away to others in meaningful ways that you can train yourself to be like Jesus as you serve 
Acts of service is it's one of the love languages that maybe you've heard t- people talk about. Uh, serving others uh, helps us to worship God because we're, we're worshiping him as we, t- we serve people who are made in his image, as we honor them and, and honor his image in them. What does it look like to serve other people? I want to give you just a couple pictures of what it looks like to serve others. First way to serve others is just to listen to them, to, to lean in, to, to close your mouth and open your ears, to ask questions, to listen for their responses and ask another question, to allow them to talk, to, to hear their opinions and hear their experiences. This is one way we can serve other people. The problem is most of the time we're more interested in being heard than hearing. We like to, to talk. We like to make our, our, our views known. But one way we can serve other people is if we could stop talking and, and open up our ears to listen. Here's another picture of what service looks like. It, it, service is, is simple acts of kindness. Noticing that something needs to be done and doing it. Without making a big deal about it, without drawing attention to yourself, just doing something that needs to be done. It's a powerful way to serve others. Picking up trash, fixing a neighbor's broken fence, filling up your spouse's car with gas, remembering your friend's birthday. Uh, Yesterday, there was about 30 people here at church uh, working outside the building, inside the building, doing some spring cleaning, just getting things looking nice. And they invested some time. Now, obviously, they were here. They knew they were doing it. They saw each other doing it. Uh, But it was a way of serving here at the church. There's over 10 uh, people from the Panivino Hispanic Church that meets here on Sunday afternoons. Pastor William and his congregation was here as well, serving alongside us that we could uh, beautify this place that God has provided for us. Uh, Serving is, is, is almost a supernatural act, especially when we serve in secret, when we don't make a big deal about it. When we don't put our name to it or, or take that selfie and then put it out there on social media so people can see that we were serving. Uh, secret service is not natural for us. Our human nature uh, wants to make a big deal about it. Our human nature wants to grab hold of positions where we don't have to serve. It's supernatural to surrender our lives and to look around and say, what does that person need? What does that family need? What does my neighbor need? What do my kids need? And, and to serve them. One more picture here of what serving looks like. Serving looks like loving others, checking in on them, connecting with them, saying, hey, how, how are you doing? It's been a little while. How, how did that thing go last week that you told me about? How's that area of your world going? It's checking in. It, serving others in this way, that's a way of loving them. Back in January, I tripped over another birthday, and th- this one had a zero after it, so it was a big one. And uh, my two older kids from Denver came out and surprised me for the week, my birthday weekend. I didn't know they were coming. Uh, they bought airline tickets. They took time off work. They gave up their weekend, and they came out to, to celebrate with me. It was a, one way they served me. I felt loved by them because they took the effort to be here, and uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, they couldn't have given me a better present than to show up and serve me in that way. Last Wednesday, I was sitting on the couch uh, at the end of the day, exhausted, watching the evening news, kind of dozing in between uh, commercials. And as I was laying there, just like wasting away, uh, Angela came in about 5.30 with, with dinner. She just brought a plate of food in and put it in front. Hey, here's some food, Nate. And I, I didn't ask her for it. Uh, she, I, you know, I don't know how she knew I would be hungry, but she just showed up and said, hey, let me serve you. Let me give you some food. It was her way of loving, I took it as love. It was her way of loving me, serving me, um, without even me asking. And uh, it, was, it was great. I mean, that is one of the ways that service looks like. It looks like love. It looks like checking in with people. Training ourselves to be like Jesus means we learn how to serve others. Jesus did it, and if we want to be like him, we will do it as well. 
And, and service really shows that our faith is making a difference in our lives. It reveals that our faith is, is growing, is strong, is active in our lives. It, it shows that, that we believe what we say we believe, and it's changing how we act. Serving puts your faith into action. So I want to look at a passage of Scripture that talks about this, that encourages us uh, to serve, to put our faith into action. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to James chapter 2, uh, way in the back of the New Testament. James chapter 2, verse 14 is where we're going to start. And uh, James was a, a brother of Jesus, and can you imagine your big brother being Jesus? And, and James didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior, was God in the flesh. There's uh, stories in the Gospels where Jesus and his brothers and his mom would go find Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, hey, come back home. We don't know what's going on with you. We don't know where your mind's at, but you're losing it. Come on back home. Come to the carpentry shop. Let's get back into normal life. You're, you're, you're really going off the rails. That's what James said to his big brother. And then later... Something happened, and James was transformed. His understanding of who Jesus was changed. I think possibly he, he knew Jesus. He saw his brother die on the cross and then saw him come back to life. And for James, he, he became a leader in the church in the Jerusalem. And he became convinced that Jesus was the, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh. And so James wrote this letter to the church and encouraged them to live out their faith. I want to read this um, to you. The, on the screen, we're going to have the, the passage in the New International Version. Uh, but I'm going to read to you from the Message Paraphrase Bible. Uh, it's not a word-for-word -word translation or even a phrase-by-phrase -phrase translation, but Eugene Peterson, who knows the original languages, put it down into English in, in ways that I think is helpful for us to hear this morning. So a more accurate version will be on the screen, but I'm just going to, I'm going to read a paraphrase to you. So this is James chapter 2, verse 14. And let's look at verse 14. Here's what the message says. Uh, Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? Serving puts our faith into action. It shows that our faith works. James just kind of hits right, right at us there. If, if you have a faith, it should show in what you do. It should bring transformation and new life. It should work out for the good of others outside of you. In the NIV text there, it says uh, before the word faith, there's this article, such, can such a faith save you? Can such a, a faith that doesn't work, a faith that doesn't have exterior action showing it is real, can such a faith be a saving faith? James is, is trying to talk about how it needs to be core to who we are. It's almost like he's saying it's a car uh, that doesn't start. Your faith doesn't have action. It's like a car that doesn't start. Last, about a year ago, my, my daughter was at work with our old 12-year-old uh, minivan. She worked at Unforked. She called me at 10 o'clock one night and said, hey, the car won't start. So I drove over there, and we tried to jumpstart it, and it wasn't working. The battery wasn't the problem. I figured out it was the starter that needed to be replaced, and I didn't know if it, this car was worth 100 bucks for a new starter. Um, but I found out how to do it. I found a used starter, and I realized I could do it. And so over the next three or four days, Unforked must have loved it when I showed up in my coveralls and climbed under the car in their parking lot for like two or three days, tearing out pieces and trying to get a new starter in there. But we got it running again, and it made it at about another 10 months before we had to scrap it. Uh, I guess sad story at the end of the day, right? But, uh, but that's what James is saying here. He says, your faith, it's like a car without a starter. If your faith isn't taking, it doesn't have action to it. If it's not working, is it really a faith to begin with? Is it, it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Let's see some action. And then he gives an illustration. Look at verses 15 through 17. 
For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved, and you say, good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God actions is outrageous nonsense? The NIV says it in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Not not a fading faith, not a weak faith, a dead faith. It's not living. It's not alive. James says wishing a person well doesn't help them. Actually doing something helps them. And we might not be able to do everything. Our ability, our resources are limited. But James says we should do something. We should do something when we see a friend in need, someone in need. Verse, then he goes to verse 18. I can already hear one of you agreeing and saying, sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, they fit together hand in glove. There must have been people in, in James's day who were were saying things like, you know, my, my faith is my personal, it's my faith, it's personal to me. I don't have to reveal, I don't have to show it off to the world around me. I don't have to make a big deal about it. I think about the culture that James was a part of, the Jewish culture. He grew up Jewish, and they had over 600 different rules and laws and ways of life from the Old Testament and the Mishnah, the, the oral tradition of the rabbis that gave them instructions about how they were to live life. And they would go down their to-do list every day, making sure that they were doing all the right things. And then Jesus shows up, and Jesus says, my, my yoke is easy. And what he's saying is, my way of life, my, my teaching, the way I'm inviting you to live, he says, it's easy. My, my way is light. My burden is light. And, and for this new church, for the Jewish people, they began to talk about, so are we supposed to follow all the rules? And I think some came to the decision, like, we don't have to follow the rules. In fact, we don't have to do anything. You just know it's about me and Jesus, and that's all it needs to be. And I'll wait around for Jesus to come back. And that's all I need to worry about. And James says to them, you cannot separate faith from works. They go hand in hand. He says in the NIV, he says, show me your faith without deeds. And the point he's making there is that you can't. You can't show me your faith without deeds. Faith is a decision of our heart. It's something happening inside. If I'm going to see it, if someone outside me is going to see it, it's going to have to be action. It's going to have to be something I'm doing. It's going to have to be some patience that they see, some kindness, some grace, some, some care, some, some compassion. If I want to show my faith, I have to do more than talk. I have, to, I have to serve. I have to show up for other people. James continues in verse 19. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you've done something wonderful? Well, that's just great. Demons do that, but what good does it do them? The NIV says, you believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. This verse uh, disturbs me. It's uncomfortable for me. Because as Christians, isn't that what we believe there is one God? Isn't that what makes us a Christian? That we believe that there is a God? That there is one God? Uh, Angela and I work with couples sometimes. We're working with a couple right now to plan their wedding next fall. And uh, we get to talk to them about what it's like being married, and we get to help plan the service. I've done about 39 weddings in my, my lifetime, and I get to sit with couples and talk about their vows. How, what kind of c- commitment are you going to make? What promises? What is the covenant promise you're going to make to one another? And as we work on their vows, I've never had one of them turn to me and say, Nate, during the vows, could we stick in there something about how they believe I exist? <laughs> you know? 
Something like, Steve, do you take this woman to be your wife? Do you promise to share life with her and love her? Do you believe she exists? You know, that's never been in the vows. That's kind of a given, you know? Some of you who've been married a little while might be saying, I should have put it in there, you know, because there's <laughs> times I'm not sure. Sometimes I'm not sure. James is saying just to believe there is a God doesn't, is not enough for saving faith. It's not enough to save us. Saving faith does more than just acknowledge the existence of God. Saving faith surrenders to that God. James tells us that the de- demons believe that there's one God, and they do everything they can to fight against him, his, his people and his purposes in this world. We believe that there is one God, and we actively surrender to him, receive forgiveness from him, and then we serve his purposes and his people with our lives. Back to James 2. Again, the New International Version is on the screen. I'm going to read the message. This is James 2, verses 20 through 25. He continues to write, and James says, Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Wasn't our ancestor Abraham made right with God by works when he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar? Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners, that faith expresses itself in works, that the works are works of faith? And then verse 23, the full meaning of believe in the scripture sentence, Abraham believed God and was set right with God. It included his action. It's that mesh of believing and acting that got Abraham named God's friend. Is it not evident that a person is made right with God, not by a barren faith, but by a faith fruitful in works? And then in verse 25, the same with Rahab, the Jericho harlot. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies, helping them escape, that seamless unity of believing and doing, wasn't that what counted with God? Faith and works cannot be separated and still be saving faith or be work that glorifies God. If you try to separate them, you, you end up either with a useless and meaningless faith or you end up working hard to try to prove something to God which is meaningless and useless. Both are, are meaningless pursuits. And James takes us back to two Old Testament people, and I love how he chooses Abraham and Rahab because he couldn't have choosed, cho- chosen two more different people. Abraham, the patriarch of our faith, the example of faith for us. And for millions around the world, the the Muslims, the Jews, and the Christians all look back to Abraham as the father of their faith. And, And he was an example. He wasn't perfect. He didn't do everything right. But scripture records that his faith is what mattered to God and that he was known as a friend of God. And then we have Rahab, a prostitute, who who simply saved uh, some spies who came into the land and hid them in her home. And she did it because she knew that there was one true God and that he was on the move in her community. And and she came to faith as well. Abraham, this patriarch of the nation, Rahab, a, a sex worker who became a daughter of God, their saving faith transformed their lives and moved them into serving others. And then James closes with the passage with these words, verse 26. The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separating faith and works, you get the same thing, a corpse. And some of us think about our faith, and our faith doesn't feel like it's all that active. Our faith feels a little shallow. Some of you might say that your faith feels like it's stalled out a bit in your life. And, And James would say to you, well, let's get serving. Let's get some life back into that faith. Let's start expressing that faith by looking out to others, asking questions, serving those around you. Serving doesn't save you. It's the evidence that you've been saved. We don't serve to be saved. We serve because we've been saved. 
Serving is this spiritual exercise that helps us move outside ourselves and experience a new kind of life. There's a professor at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, and she writes about this, this spiritual practice of serving others. Uh, here's what Michelle Paisley writes. She says, as people serve others, they cooperate with the Holy Spirit in their own transformation. As they serve, the Holy Spirit works in them to cultivate eyes that see and value other people. Repeatedly practicing the discipline of service causes someone to develop a heart of compassion that will eventually serve others instinctively because serving has become part of their character. In other words, if you do this, if you practice this enough, you'll get to a place where eventually you'll serve just because it's who you are. You won't have to think about it. You won't have to wonder about it. You'll just do it because God has transformed your life and your heart and brought something new. I want you to hear from some people at Hillcrest who are serving others actively right now and uh, to hear about how God called them to it and, and what they're learning about serving. I had to twist a couple of their arms to come up here to, to share because they're, they're, they don't serve to show off, but uh, I wanted them to be able to share a little bit of their story. So I want to invite Greg and Lori and Chris and Lori, if you guys would come up here with us, and we're going to just take a minute and hear a little bit of their story together. Can you guys welcome them as they're coming up here? Thanks, guys, for taking the risk of coming in front of all your friends here. And, uh, and we're out online, too, so it's even bigger than you thought. Pretty scary. Uh, so let's start. Just if you would just share your name, and uh, wh where are you serving others uh, in your life today? Chris, you want to start? Sure. So my name is Chris Gable. I serve at Hillcrest on the nominating committee, and my wife, Harriet, and I host our small group on Monday nights. My name is Greg Elliott. I am involved with missions and also the Fourth Fridays, which is coming up here. Just a little promo: <laughs> the uh, concerts we have at the park on Fourth Fr uh, Fourth Friday of, uh, of I forget what months, but anyway, in the summer, in the summer, and then um, you know, have been involved with children's ministry, uh, um, Sunday school teaching, and moving from that now into um, home um, homebound ministry. Yeah. My name is Lori Kazmir, and I serve in the children's ministry, primarily in the preschool area. Hey, Lori. Uh, my name is Lori Gossenauer, and I've been involved with the youth group, so um, middle school and high schoolers. Thanks, guys. Uh, so first question, Greg, maybe you could take this first question. Uh, how does giving your time and energy keep your faith alive? I, um, for a number of years, have been involved in teaching Sunday school with the grade school kids in um, it's just sitting there with them. They come in and kind of have a time before we start, and we just we're coloring, drawing, whatever, and we're just asking questions, and they're sharing stuff about their week and things. But just sitting there and listening to the innocence of kids, sharing their lives, sharing their stories, and you know sometimes talking about the conversation coming to church with mom and dad. You know some of that interesting stuff happens, but. Uh, it just, it just, it touches my heart. It just opens it up, and it's like, you know, life is real. These kids are real. You know, it just, it's a really, it's a cherishing time for me. Mm. Like how you said, it, it opens your heart. You know, yes. that's, that's a great image for us. Uh, Lori, how about for you? 
Yes. Me, Lori? Yes, okay. yeah. Um, I really like the quote that you shared, Nate. Um, just that, that word about compassion, it's, it's real. And what I've noticed is it's a chain reaction, at least for me it was a chain reaction, that I, when I got out of my comfort zone and just went over to the building over there and sat down and, and just got to know some kids that I didn't know, I started to care about them. I started to want to um, fight for the things that they were struggling for. I wanted to start praying for them. I felt challenged to find answers to their questions and um, just a, a deep compassion that I wouldn't have had if I didn't walk over and, and get, you know, get closer in proximity to them. Thanks, Lori. Uh, Chris, how about for you? Um, how does giving your time and energy keep your faith alive? So when I kind of make a commitment to <clears throat> serve in some way, it helps me to push aside those other things and create that space to experience the Holy Spirit working in me and in those around me. And in those times, I can feel my focus, which can have a tendency to be on my own preoccupations and life and stuff, shift to others. And so I spend less time thinking about me and more time just delighting in the work that God's doing in his people around me. Mm, that's good, Chris. And Lori, how about for you? Um, when we worship God, fills us and he builds our faith, but um, like exercise, like physical exercise, builds our strength and endurance. When we serve, um, we let, we invite God to come in and just grows our faith, uh, especially like I work with the two to four year olds and they don't read, but they listen to the story and they'll ask questions and insightful questions. And so I find myself, okay, Lord, this is you praying real quick. Just give me the words that the message is clear, that they understand it, that they know they can ask questions, and that they're loved. Yeah. So. Thanks, Lori. Uh, next question, and Chris, we'll start with you, and why don't we just go down with this question, but what's one piece of advice you would give to a new volunteer at Hillcrest, someone who's trying it for the first time? Sure. So in our earliest conversations about forming a small group, I kind of wondered, you know, what do I have to give to this? I've not done um, a small group before. And, and similarly with the nominating committee, I'm not the most connected person here in, in this community. What do, how am I gonna contribute? And so I just would dispel an expectation of credentials or perfection. Uh, the expectation is just that you're present and you, you put your heart into it. And in my experience, it's been very rewarding. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Greg, how about you? Well, we're all different and we all have different things that our heart kind of goes towards, and um, you know, I tend to be more outgoing and enjoying people, and but other people are not. And you know, you just you have to find where it is that God has your heart. You know, what is it that He has made you to be and wants you to be? And from that, you can can begin. And you know, there's a number of people that are kind of fearful of I don't know where to go, I don't know what to do. Just take a step out, maybe even here in the congregation, and just go up to somebody and say hi, and just say, talk to them, and see what, what that does for you. And, 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 you know, if you see a little kid run by and your heart just goes, oh, well, maybe that's an indication, you know, there's something there that might be good for you. But just find that place of where your heart, you know, your, your heart gets strummed, and there's something about it that's, that's, uh, that's touching you inside, and, and take steps towards that. That's great. Lori, how about you? What's, what's a piece of advice you give a new volunteer? Um, when a word balance, um, when this question was brought up, I thought of in the account in Luke about Mary and Martha, and Martha was running around preparing a meal for Jesus, and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and listening, and 
Jesus said to Mary, not that she was doing wrong because she was preparing food for them and we all like to eat, but um, <laughs> what Mary chose was better. And so taking that time when we volunteer to have the time to still worship and be filled and then um, walk out that faith in what, how we serve. Thanks, Lori. Uh, my advice would be to be okay feeling awkward and uncomfortable. Um, I, you know, thinking about being with teenagers, sometimes you think, I don't, I, I don't even know what I'll do, or it'll be uncomfortable. But it's okay. It's okay to be awkward. It's a, it's okay to be uncomfortable, and because um, it's not really about us, it's about the other person on the other side. So um, be okay with it being uncomfortable. Yeah. We all remember back in middle school when we were awkward, right? So let's dive back into that again. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for sharing, guys. Let's give them a hand and say thanks for coming up, share your story a bit. Appreciate you guys. So we finish up. I want to take you back to our Christmas season back in December. Uh, we talked about the gifts of Christmas, and we each Sunday talked about how Jesus is a gift in our life. And one Sunday we talked about how Jesus is a gift to us because he serves us. He is a servant. And we talked about the story that we read in the New Testament where uh, as Jesus was at a dinner table with his friends, his disciples, the night before he died on the cross, he stood up and put a towel around his waist and he began to wash their feet. Uh, when they had arrived for the dinner, someone had for forgot to put out the foot washing station. Uh, they were all sitting there with dirty feet. They all knew they had dirty feet, but nobody else was getting up. So Jesus did. And he served them and, and washed their feet. And uh, we talked about the importance of that towel, how that towel was a symbol of serving others. So in the room right here, right now, there's some bins. Uh, it might be next to you. It might be at the end of your aisle. There's about 10 little plastic bins that have little pieces of fabric in them. And I want you to look for that bin. And would you grab a piece of that fabric and pass those bins around so that everyone can get a little fabric square uh, for them? Uh, they look like this. You guys see those bins? There's only 10 of them, so you might have to move around, look behind you, look in front of you. Make sure you pass those around that everybody can get uh, a little fabric square this morning. And I want you to take this with you today. Uh, maybe put it on your dashboard, put it in your pocket, uh, maybe uh, in the bathroom or the, by the bedside table you have there. Uh, let it be your little towel. This is a little reminder of the towel. And, and what is the towel that God is inviting you to pick up? What is the act of service, the way of service that God is inviting, Jesus is inviting you to move into? So many of you are already serving. You're investing in other people. You're investing here at this church and this building. You're, you're investing in local partnerships that we have with some of the nonprofits around Kansas City. You're, you're serving your family. Uh, you're serving your neighbors. Uh, many of you are already involved in this. And, and I don't want to like lump more on top of you. The last thing you need is to walk out of here with a burden of more on your shoulders. Like Jesus said, my burden is easy. Um, so, but, but some of you need the challenge this morning because your faith is yours, but you're not, living, you're not letting it live you, out of you. You're not letting it change how you treat others or, or what you're doing with your time. And so I want you to, to ask that question of God this morning. How would you have me serve? What are ways you'd have me serve? Who would you have me serve? And let God speak to you about that as we move into this new week. We have a form that you can find on the front page of our website. Just says, I want to serve. It's a third link down on the website. There's a QR code you can use to jump to it. Uh, you can use your paper connection card. But let us know how you'd like to serve. There are great options on that. We are looking for people to help out around here. And we don't want to just focus on what's going on inside our building, but we do need help here at Hillcrest. And so uh, consider some options there on that form that you can look at. 
uh, ushering, I mean, uh, greeting at the door, helping with kids, helping with the tech team or the security team, uh, just different things. And when you use that form, when you check a box, you're not saying, sign me up. You're not saying, put me on the schedule. You're saying, I'd like, to, I'd like to hear more about this. I'd like to learn more about this area of service. I'd like to know what it's like helping out with students or kids. Uh, I'd like to know what it's like making coffee on Sunday mornings. Like, you're just saying, I'm interested. I want to hear more. So we would love to connect with you about those opportunities. So take a minute if you'd like to and, and uh, use the QR code to jump there. Go to the front page of the website. Let us know how you want to help out, how you want to serve, and, and put your faith into action. And we want to help you do that. Let's take a moment and just talk with God about this. Uh, again, he needs to direct us. Uh, we don't want to serve out of um, a guilt kind of service, a shame kind of service, you know, because we ought to. We want to serve, like Greg talked about, with our hearts. Where is God moving our hearts to invest in those around us? So let's ask him to help us do that. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you that you served us. You have served us. You do serve us. You provide what we need. You've opened up a way of life that connects us deeply with our creator and with our purpose in this world. You've opened up uh, the kingdom of God to us. So Father, would you uh, guide our hearts right now, guide us, instruct our minds. Lord, help us know what you would have us do because of our faith. How you would have us act because of our faith. Lord, would you help us learn what it means to serve others, to listen to their stories, to love them well, to engage in, in ways of kindness, Lord, that they might see that they matter. Lord, as we serve, you do work inside of us to help us grow in our faith. Might you enliven our faith, Father, as we step out, as we take the risk as we invest ourselves into acts of service, ways of service. Father, help us to do it with a lightness in our step, with, with joy in our hearts. You love cheerful givers, not those who give out of compulsion or because they have to, but because they get to. So help us serve with that mentality, that heart posture. Help us respond to the love of Jesus pray this in his name. Amen. I want to invite our prayer volunteers up every Sunday. There's those up front here uh, willing to pray with you and encourage you. Come up and let us lift you up this morning. Um, next Sunday, we've got a short little business meeting after each service to celebrate some new members, some other things happening around the life of the church. So uh, we'd love for you to stick around next week if, if you'd like to and hear more about what's happening here at Hillcrest. Uh, and as you, as you leave, if you've got those connection cards, you can just drop those off or offering any gifts you have for the church, just drop them in the joy boxes in the, the back of the room. Yeah. We celebrate generosity here. That's right. That's awesome. Uh, thanks for being here this morning. Go with God now. Know that you are, are loved by your God, that he serves you. He has given himself for you. So go and give yourself in love to others, serving them, bringing light to dark places. We'll see you next Sunday. Go with God. Amen.